So the reading is Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is God's Word. Good evening, everybody. There was a slight delay there, I was worried. Um, Should we pray together as we come to look at this passage? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we come to your most holy word, that you would open our hearts by your Spirit's power. And may we leave here different people, changed, transformed by what we see here. And may we go out into this week with brighter hope, stronger faith, and happier hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in this series um, called Battle and Blessing. It's all about living the Christian life with both of those realities happening the whole time living in the blessings of our, of our salvation, our relationship with God and Jesus Christ, and the spiritual battle um, that we face, the battle against sin and Satan. And this week, we're looking at the, uh, the last three pieces of kit in the armour of God in Ephesians 6. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Three vital pieces of Christian armour. Now, as we begin... Um, I'd like to get you to ponder a bit of a strange question. Have a think about this. What does the devil really want for your life? What does the devil really want for your life? In church, we're probably used to hearing, God has a wonderful plan for your life. What does the devil want for you? Just just ponder that for a second. What, What do you imagine he really wants to do in your life? What would be Satan's ideal outcome for you, for the church, for the world? Let's think about Satan for a few minutes. And I realise that may not be what you were imagining when you came into church this evening. Um, I hope it's been quite clear if you've been here the last few weeks um, in this series that Satan and demons are real and personal. They are not just mythological characters in the Bible. They are not just labels that we stick on our, our own inner struggles and our own inner darkness. Um, they're not a way to just talk in a, a poetic way about the evil out there in the world. Um, there is real, personal, spiritual evil in the world. Now, we could take hours and hours and do a whole Bible study on Satan, um, his history, his ways of working, his aims, what he's up to. We can't quite do that um, But it is worth, I think, us being just clear on a couple of key points as we delve into this passage, which is really about Satan and defending ourselves against him, about spiritual warfare. 
Two things to be clear on Satan, even though we can't do a whole Bible study on him. First of all, we need to take Satan seriously. We have to take him seriously. Paul says, our passage, Ephesians 6, if you haven't got it open, please keep it open. Ephesians 6, 11, he says, Satan is an enemy who is actually scheming against us. That is, Satan does have a plan for your life. There is, he does have a plan that he wants to carry out for us. And he's got the tools to put that plan into place. Verse 12 tells us that at the moment, while this world is sinful and fallen, Satan has power and authority in this world. Elsewhere, Paul calls Satan the God of this age. He's the God of this age. Jesus calls him in John's Gospel the Prince of this world. And we know that Satan has gathered around him demons, the other dark spiritual powers. Jesus calls Satan in Matthew's Gospel the Prince of demons, that he has kind of authority, command over these other dark spiritual forces. And the armour that's being laid out in this passage, we've seen it the last few weeks, is given to us because we clearly need to be protected to defend ourselves against Satan, to be on our guard against his schemes. Uh, Just recently, in the last few weeks, I've been chatting to some people from our church family who've just been particularly aware of the spiritual battle. Just in these last few weeks, Satan is real and the, the battle is real. So we need to take him seriously. Second thing, we don't need to fear. We do not need to fear. Yes, Satan is opposed to God. He's opposed to us, the Church of Jesus Christ. But Christians do not believe in dualism. And that's where it's like, you might have imagined this, that there is like two equal and opposing forces in the universe. There's God and there's Satan. There's good and evil. And they're like in a a tug of war over the destiny of the universe. And it's a sort of a bit of a 50-50 Like, which way is it going to go? Who knows? Hopefully the good guys win. That is not what we believe as Christians. That is not what Scripture teaches. See, Scripture teaches us that Satan and the demons are fallen angels. They're fallen angels. That means that they were created. They were created good, like we were. And they were corrupted and fell into sin, like we have. That means that Satan is not an eternally existing evil force in the universe. Really important. Satan is not like the eternal equal and opposite of God. The only eternal power in the universe is the living God, the good God of light and life and love. And everything else in the whole universe comes under the authority and the power of our sovereign heavenly father. And Satan, well, he is a finite, limited, twisted, withered, created thing. He had a beginning, and he is coming to an end. Satan's end in his judgment was sealed by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And whatever you and I experience today of Satan's power and influence and his attacks... It is nothing but last gasp, pathetic, little attempts of whining by someone who knows he's already beaten. That is what we experience today. Jesus' death 
and resurrection have guaranteed for the universe an eternity that is going to be free from all the power and influence of Satan and evil and sin and death forever. That is the truth of the gospel. So please hear that as we dive into Ephesians 6 again this evening. The devil is real. We must take him seriously. We must be on our guard. But he's also deflated, defenceless, defeated already. And we do not need to fear. John's gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Satan is about as much a problem for Jesus as a dark room is for a light bulb. I wasn't going to do this, so I didn't do this at the fall. This is sort of 6pm grade material. Um, you know one of the names for, for Satan in scripture that Jesus uses is Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. This goes back to, you know, the, old, the, the gods of the nations around Israel in the Old Testament, um, were, you sometimes have this phrase, the detestable god, Molech, or the abomination, Chemosh, or something like that. I don't know if you've ever spotted that. That word there that's being used, detestable or, or something like that, it, it's basically the Hebrew word for, for dung. It's like filth and, yeah, you could probably get the idea. So all of those, those foreign gods all around Israel, it's like they're piles of, yeah, and, the, and it, is, it is as if, because, by the way, these are the gods that demanded things like child sacrifice. Evil, evil, demonic gods. And Satan is the lord of the flies. He's just got the most flies buzzing around him because he's the biggest herd of all. <laughs> I thought you could handle that at 6pm. What a great name. Um, so we must take him seriously, but we can, the Bible can speak of him in that way because he's defeated and he's to be flushed away. He will be. So what might be Satan's plan for your life? What were you imagining when they asked that question? Well, what, what would he most hope for you? When I was a youngster, I was growing up in church, I think I had a very mystical view of the devil. I had a very mystical view of what he was up to. Therefore, quite a sort of mystical view of what spiritual warfare was as well, like a, a maybe a slightly sort of magical idea of how to face Satan and his schemes and his plans. Um, so, you know, what does Satan really want? What, was, what would be his plan A? Um, if he could really have exactly what he wanted for me, for my family, for our church, here, here's what I thought. Obviously, step one, read all the Harry Potter books. <laughs> Gateway drug. Then, of course, it would be to sneak off at Halloween and play with a Ouija board. Next step would be, I would imagine, something like there would be some secret family history of Freemasonry, which sort of spiritually bound me unknowing to some murky misfortune. And then the final sort of chef's kiss of Satan's great hopes would be that tonight all of us say we're Christians, that we go down here under the church after the service, pack into the crypt, and we gather around an ancient stone table, and we chant something druidy and sacrifice one of the freshest to him. You know, that would be, that would be Satan's dream outcome for Christians. So that's what I was thinking growing up, that kind of thing. And, you know, that kind of picture, which I think, to be honest, owes a lot more to horror films than it does to the scriptures. With that picture came a very mystical view of spiritual warfare, of standing up to Satan. So people I knew as a child used to do things like 
um, researched the history of their local area before they bought a house to make sure there'd been no kind of pagan activity there or something like that. Um, They would occasionally anoint the doors of the church building with wine in a sort of Passover-like thing. Um, My favourite thing that someone I used to know did was um, in the middle of the night would go off to any suspicious-sounding ancient monument and bury a Bible there. And I think the idea was it's like sort of planting a seed of some spiritual power that would sort of resist the, um, the, any demonic forces there. Um, you know, I don't know. It seems to me like burying a Bible in the ground is about the least effective thing you could do with it because it's supposed to open it. But of course, Ephesians 6 um, the armour of God, that was maybe a favourite passage of maybe that sort of more mystical approach to, to spiritual warfare. The assumption was, I think, when I was growing up, and maybe I just absorbed this and got it wrong, but the idea was, I think, you're supposed to sort of wake up, sit on the edge of your bed and mime putting on the armour, like helmet of salvation. You know that, has anyone ever picked that up? You're supposed to do that? Sword of the spirit? Maybe it was just me. Um, And I think I absorbed the idea that basically this sort of ritual of putting on the armour in that kind of um, acting way would somehow be like a mystical, spiritual protection for the day. Now, I presented all all of that to you in quite a lighthearted way. I acknowledge that. I think I just want to say this is quite important. Um, There are real dangers to the occult and to witchcraft and to certain New Age practices. There are real dangers to idols and the worship of other gods. There is no question that the devil will use those things to to tangle people up, to draw them into darkness, to deceive and damage people. So please be aware of these things, and please take them seriously. And it may just be, by the way, that someone tonight... Um, needs to come and repent of involvement in some of those things. Uh, We would love to pray with you if that is you. But those things are not Satan's plan A for your life. Scripture does not leave it to horror films to tell us what Satan is most interested in doing. Scripture doesn't leave it to horror films to tell us what Satan is most active in doing. Satan's number one hope for you, his plan for your life, is very, very clear in Scripture. It is to keep you away from Jesus Christ. That is what Satan wants for you more than anything, to keep you away from Jesus Christ. Sure, he will use the occult if it will work on you. He will. But he's far more likely to use apathy Pornography, alcohol, your work-life balance, the temptation of a relationship with someone who doesn't love Jesus, money. Just think of the way the scriptures speak about Satan's activity most of the time. What is, what is the, the common threads through how scripture speaks about Satan? Well, his first sin... The the thing that began Satan's fall from his original good creation was pride. Pride. Pretty vanilla, isn't it, as far as, you know, the genesis of Satan? Just pride. He likes to think of himself 
and he would like you to do the same. Then he's called, in Matthew 4, the tempter. He tempts us. This is his first weapon in attacking you. He wants you to sin. Very boring, isn't it, as far as spiritual warfare goes? He just wants you to sin. But that's the whole point. Please yourself. Do as you want. Do the things that God has told you not to do. And then, of course, he's called the accuser in Revelation chapter 1. Because as soon as he's tempted you and you've fallen for it and sinned, he then throws your sins up in your face and accuses you and tries to get you to despair and lose heart and think there is no forgiveness available for you. And so he wants you to turn away from Jesus, both in sinning in the first place and then to stay away from Jesus by not daring to go back and be reconciled and forgiven. That is one of his best combo moves, to tempt, then to accuse. How about this one? And this is spicy. When Satan entered into Judas. I mean, that is crazy. What happens when Satan possesses a person? What do you imagine is going to happen there? When Satan takes control, he's got his way with Judas. What did Jesus, what did Jesus do? He betrayed Jesus for money. Kind of normal, isn't it? That is the heart of darkness. The heart of darkness. Pride, sin, accusation, selfishness and greed. See, Satan is not primarily interested in you know, running the Freemasons and making little girls' heads turn 360 degrees or making things go bump in the night in your house. He most wants to keep you away from Jesus Christ. Maybe not to reject Jesus outright, but just to choose against Jesus every day in a million little tiny ways in your sins, to then be swallowed up in your guilt and your shame, to begin just gradually to disbelieve in God's goodness and just gradually to walk away from him and turn in on yourself and live for yourself. That is real spiritual warfare. That is what spiritual warfare is about. It's not mystical, it's not mysterious. It's very much everyday stuff. It's the stuff that you and I have already been battling through today. And we're going to go and battle on with it tonight when we go home and on into this week. So the, the three final pieces of armour which are in our passage tonight, they tell us, what our defence is to be. What is our weapon? Three things. Our shield is faith, that we trust in Jesus. Our protection, the helmet, is our salvation in Jesus. And the sword in our hand is the word about Jesus. Those are three pieces of armour that you don't mind putting on in the morning. They are powerful spiritual realities that are vital to your spiritual survival this week. These pieces of armour are vital to you getting through this week. And you notice what they have in common? They're not really about you and what you do and your strength and your willingness to fight in the battle. They're not about saying the right prayers or doing the right rituals or speaking out the right words into the spiritual realm. They're not about casting out and cutting off and burying Bibles. They're about Jesus 
and what he has already done, trusting in him, being safe in him, holding on to his word in your life. Let's very quickly take them one by one. I'm just going to fly through these. First of all, the shield. This is Ephesians 6.16. The shield is about faith. That is our trust in Jesus. And by the shield, Paul writes, we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Picture here is of Satan shooting at us with fiery arrows. Maybe this is very real to some of you here this evening, that sense of just being under attack. Fiery arrows come in your way of a barrage, temptation, accusation. He knows what buttons to press in your life. He knows the sins that you will enjoy and cave into most easily. He knows the doubts and the fears that he can play on and make you begin to despair and lose hope and start to disbelieve that God is good. He knows how to discourage you and to steal your joy in the Lord. And these arrows, some of you feeling it even today, are just flying at you the whole time. And in that position of being under attack, it can be quite hard to hear this idea that faith is meant to be the shield. right? That, that faith is the shield because you're being hounded and you're aware of your weakness and your vulnerability and often failing so much. And being told to take up the shield of faith, well, that can feel a, a bit less of like a comfort and more like a, a kind of a kick up the backside. Like, believe a bit harder. Have more faith. Stop being such a loser. Too often we Christians imagine that faith is about trying harder. And we will get discouraged if we think that way. But notice this. This is a shield. It is protective. It's passive. It is not an offensive weapon, but a defensive protection. Because your faith isn't about you. Your faith is not about you, not about your strength. Faith is only ever as good as the thing it rests on. Right? Your faith, you might think your faith is sort of patchy like a rubbish mobile signal. Fine. If your faith is in Jesus, he's strong enough. He is strong enough. That's why faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. You feel you have weak faith, don't worry, you have a strong saviour. One of my favourite preachers, Sinclair Ferguson, likes to say this. The weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. The weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. And so to be safe from Satan's fiery arrows Friday you this week, sin, temptation, accusation, despair. You just need to lean on Jesus. Just go to Jesus. That is holding up the shield of faith. That is spiritual warfare. And it may be that for some people in the room tonight, spiritual warfare this week might look a bit more like collapsing on Jesus, failing your way into his arms. And you know that even doing that is still doing the last thing Satan wants you to do, right? Even if you're sinning and failing your way 
sobbing into Jesus' arms, you're still doing the one thing Satan doesn't want, which is going to Jesus and putting your trust in him. And so while you might feel your knees are given under you, reality is you are standing firm. Second thing is the helmet. The helmet is about salvation. Surely one of the most important pieces of armour is the helmet. If you've ever been a sniper in real life or on Xbox, you know the headshot is the deadly one. Um, Salvation is protection of the, the mind. Just think how often in Scripture the spiritual battle is presented as a battle of the mind. Colossians 1.21, once, Paul says, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Or Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So your salvation the truth that Jesus died for you and rose again for you, that Jesus on the cross took your sin and its punishment onto himself, that he took death itself and freed you from it, that he has brought you to his father to be adopted as a precious son or daughter of God, that you are safe for eternity. That truth, that story is the vital protection for your mind that you need this week. That truth is where you need to take refuge in your mind this week. So much else is fighting for airtime in our minds. Worries and fears, pressures and expectations, our insecurities and doubts. It's just like a storm in there sometimes, isn't it? And our reality day to day can be completely dictated just by the last text message we got or a conversation that we know we need to have that's going to be difficult. Or, for me, if you're just tired and hungry. And the protection we need for our hearts and our minds is the salvation of Jesus, to know that we are safe in him. Again, it's just about leaning on Jesus and what he has already done for you. If you're aware of trials and temptations in your life this week, let me just, let me just give some real practical thoughts. How are you going to get salvation as a guard around your mind this week? Open the Gospels. Read about Jesus' death and resurrection. Sing a song about salvation. We've sung some of them tonight. Maybe you could repeat that. Or maybe this one. Google the Apostles' Creed and say it out loud. I recommend that one. See, when you get to the cross of Jesus, when you get to your salvation, you see the the power, the majesty, the authority of the living God all aimed at saving you, at making you his own, at bringing you to eternal safety. All of God's power is bent towards doing that. And you see, you see a God on the cross who sacrificed his life for you. He shed his blood for you. And you know, when you see that in the middle of your battle, in the middle of whatever's bringing you down, it's pretty hard to imagine that he's going to let you go now. He went to the cross for you. You don't think he's going to leave you alone in the darkness now. Let the reality of your salvation breathe peace and calm into your troubled mind this week. Okay, finally, 
the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. This is the only weapon in the whole armour in Ephesians 6. The only weapon. And it gives us a clue about how we fight, how we do damage in the spiritual battle. And Paul tells us the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That is the Holy Spirit's own sword. I like that thought. The Holy Spirit has given us his own sword. The speech, the revelation, the word of God. That is our weapon. Remember, that's how Jesus himself took on Satan and his temptations in the wilderness. Every time Satan came to tempt him, Jesus quoted scripture. And that's how he triumphed in temptation. Now, sometimes we imagine in our minds that the the word of God and the Holy Spirit are like two opposing forces, that they're sort of pulling in different directions Have you ever heard people say, um, well, I go to a word church, and then someone else says, well, I I like going to more of a spirit church, and it's like you have to choose one or the other because they're like going in a different direction. Or some people will try and say, well, look, we, we want to try and hold word and spirit together as if they're like two twins that have fallen out, and you're trying to sort of come on word and spirit and get them together. That's so stupid. There's no chance. God's word is the Holy Spirit's own sword. He inspired it. He illuminated it as we read it and hear it today. He has given it to us. The Holy Spirit has given us scripture to be the test that we check that it's him who's at work and not some other spirit. The word and the spirit are inseparable. And if you want the power of the Holy Spirit as you fight the fight, get into the word. There are some people here this evening who feel like they've been in a you feel like you've been in a losing battle spiritually, maybe even just the last couple of weeks. And it is partly because the Holy Spirit has given you his own sword, but you don't use it. The word of God brought light into darkness in the beginning. God's word brings life to the dead. It brings order out of chaos. It brings truth out of confusion and hope out of despair. Get into the word this week. 500 years ago, Martin Luther was in a battle against a a medieval Roman Catholic church which had fallen into a lot of corruption. It had really lost the gospel of Jesus. And Luther um, started a movement of revival and reformation that transformed the church across the world. Looking back on all of that, he said this, and I love this quote. This is a sort of a theme for certainly for my preaching ministry. He says this, I simply taught and preached God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. So anyone who wants to preach, you can sleep, you can drink beer with your friends, and the word is where the power is. The word of the spirit, which is the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So three vital pieces of armour. There's no need to mime at the beginning of the day this week. Spiritual warfare is not mystical, it's real, everyday stuff. The shield of faith Depend on Jesus alone. The helmet of salvation. 
Have Jesus' salvation rule in your mind and the sword of the Spirit. Let loose the power of the word in your life. These three elements of our armour, they're about leaning on Jesus, resting in him, closeness with him, enjoying what he has done and what he has won already. Because the fight you're in is actually his fight before it's ever yours. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered. Jesus is the Lord of angel armies, El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is the living one who died, but who is now alive forevermore. Jesus is the one who is building his church and the gates of hell hell cannot prevail against him. That means they cannot prevail against us. So let me encourage you to stand. We're going to take communion together in a moment. Let's just have a moment of quiet before the Lord. And if you feel that you've been in the battle recently, if you just recently have been in a story of temptation and sin that you just can't shake, guilt and shame, doubts and despair, there is nothing complex and magical you need to do. You need to come to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. So let's just take a moment in the quiet and come to him in our hearts before we come to communion.